verse and even to the next and how God works through that and that fits uh, that context so much with what we're going to be talking about this morning. I invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 2. We are in John's letters towards the back of the Bible, the book of 1 John uh, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 14 this morning. And uh, we want to remember in prayer Brother Randy Stone this morning at this moment, probably right now, he is preaching at uh, Mount Olive Baptist Church. He uh, had the opportunity to fill in there uh, for their pastor as he was gone today. And so with Randy's absence also comes Drew's absence, which means we have the absence of PowerPoint slides this morning to accompany our sermon. So if you're going to be filling in your blanks this morning, you're going to have to listen rather intently today. You can't just coast off somewhere, look up a few minutes later, and oh, okay, there's the answers to the blanks. You actually have to follow along with me. So if you miss one along the way and you're OCD like me and it just drives you crazy, if you miss one, you can come see me at the end and uh, I'll, I'll re-preach my sermon for you from, from the very beginning. How's that sound? All right. First John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. As we have mentioned already, I had a great Bible school this week. I had family night on Friday, and it was so good to see all those families out there. And as you looked and, and saw uh, kind of the snapshot of those families, you realize they come in, in assortments of sizes, some small families up to some very large families, uh, different colors, ethnicities, and so forth, different levels of maturity, different stages in life. You saw uh, infants all the way up to, to uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents in attendance. And what we see in earthly families resembles exactly what we see in church families, too. You know, churches come in various sizes and, and uh, different ethnicities. The Scripture teaches every tribe, tongue, and nation will stand before the throne one day and praise God. And, and it is my prayer that we begin to see that more often in our churches here on earth an ethnic uh, diversity that better reflects what we will see uh, when we make it to heaven. But in churches also, we have different levels of maturity. We have spiritual infants, those who have just come to know the Lord Jesus, or those who have accepted Christ but really have not grown very, very much in their faith for various reasons. And then we also have those who are spiritually mature, spiritual adults, that we see in our church and, and we look to those as examples and we see those as uh, encouragers for us to one day be able to achieve that level of faith in our own lives. And we look at our scripture this morning, we see kind of a reference to this diversity and spiritual maturity that is found in the church. And as we do so, I pray that you will recognize your level of spiritual maturity and that you will strive to grow in Christ's likeness in your life. Recognize your spiritual maturity wherever you're at on this journey with Jesus. Recognize that and then strive to continue to grow to become more like the Lord. Let's stand if we are able to this morning. And we do this in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 2 starting at verse 12. The apostle writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. 
And the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we pause at this time before we go any further to recognize you are God. You are the sovereign Lord of all creation. And Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church. God, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. You have revealed yourself to us. And we find that in the written word that we have opened today. God, if this is your word, it must be true. It must be trustworthy. It must be authoritative. And as such, God, I pray that we would have a better understanding of these words that you have inspired, and that we would take these words and allow them to penetrate our hearts so that we might be raised in our spiritual maturity and be conformed more closely to your Son, Jesus. It is in his name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have come to what might be one of the most confusing passages in this uh, book of the Bible as we see John uh, writing things very repetitiously. He says the statement, I am writing or I have written six times in these uh, three verses. And when we find repetition in Scripture, we must always remember it is there for emphasis. It's like John is, is writing this and he's writing it in, in bold font for us so that we would know he is really trying to stress something here. Saying, I have written to you, I am writing to you, and he says, to you, to you, to you. And so what we need to understand by this is he is really emphasizing that what he is writing is for a, a specific group of people, a, a particular group of people. He spent his letter up till now defending the true faith along the lines of also uh, defending the faith against the false teachers. He says there are some that are coming and teaching false things about Jesus, teaching and leading in a false lifestyle. And he says, but I am writing to you. I am writing to you, the church, the true believers. And what John is saying in this, he says, yes, there is a real threat to the church. There is a real danger. But in the midst of this, there still is a true church. There still is a true remnant. There really are believers who are true in the faith. For those of you who are really on board with Jesus, I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you because you are genuine. He is very confident of their salvation. In spite of the threats and dangers, there are those who are truly saved. And John is he's certain of that. He says, I'm writing to assure you all in this. And he uses the terminology here of little children and fathers and young men. And, and, and in that we can get confused as what exactly he's talking about. He, he's really not talking about earthly families. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Levels of, of maturity in the church. And, and, and just because a person is a, a young person chronologically, does not necessarily mean that they cannot be a mature, a mature Christian. Young people can be very mature. In fact, we have some very spiritually mature young people in our church. And just because you might be older chronologically does not also guarantee that you are mature in the faith. You might be older, but yet spiritually immature because you have not cultivated your faith in following the Lord. 
And so what we're talking here is not chronologically, we're talking spiritually, as John is using this terminology. And first of all, he is encouraging you to be a member of the family. Be a member of the family. John begins by speaking to Christians in general. No matter where you are at on this maturity spectrum, he says, in the eyes of God, you are still his little child. Little children, he says. And John, remember, he is, he is an elder, older in the faith, older in his life, advanced in years at this point. He is writing this. But he's also a, a, an authoritative leader in the church. And so he is expressing his, his affection for the church, but also referring to their spiritual reality as little children. Little children. He says, I am writing to you, little children. And so to be a member of the family of God, to be a member of the family of the church, first of all, fellowship is essential. Fellowship. Little children literally means born ones. Those who have been born. And of course, when we hear that terminology of being born, we are reminded what John already wrote about in his gospel in chapter 3. He says, you must be what? You must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. So spiritually, he is writing to those who have been born again, who have become the children of God. And in this letter, one of the things he contrasts later on, we're going to see children of God versus children of the devil. I'm writing you little children, those who have accepted Christ, those who are in the faith. Little children, you must be humble to come to God. You must have, as Jesus says, you must have the faith of a child. You must recognize your dependence, your neediness, and humble yourself and become like a child and come to God in faith and trust and certainty. He says, little children... I'm writing to you. John is addressing a church family here. This entire letter, he's not writing to just one person. This letter is meant to be received and interpreted and applied in a local church. And for such, we receive this letter as, as John, as if he is writing to us. It is so vital to stay plugged into a local home church. You cannot grow in your spiritual maturity. You cannot grow in your faith. You cannot grow in your knowledge of, of the Lord and, and your service to God without being involved in a local church. We find, we find accountability, people to hold us accountable to our walk with God. We find encouragement in the local church. We find an outlet to, to exercise the spiritual giftedness and the talents that God has blessed us with. You, we, we must be plugged into a local church to, to do those things to be a blessing and to be blessed. There's no, there's no other way. There's no substitute for the local church. Fellowship is essential. And I encourage you, stay plugged into the local church. But also forgiveness is essential. You can't be a member of God's family without forgiveness of sins. You cannot be a Christian without your sins being forgiven, without understanding you have sinned against God and you need to be forgiven and you have found that forgiveness in Christ. He says, I am writing to you little children because I'm writing to you, you are genuine Christians because your sins have been forgiven you, past tense. In other words, you had sins that at one time were not forgiven, 
But now they have been forgiven, and the effects of that are still continuing. Your sins were forgiven you in the past, and now you remain in this blessed state of forgiveness. Why is that? He says, your sins have been forgiven you for His name's sake. In other words, your sins have been forgiven you because Jesus became your atoning sacrifice. Your sins are forgiven you in His name's sake because He alone is the only sufficient sacrifice for sin. John addressed that back in verse 2. If you remember, He Himself, Jesus, is the propitiation, the one who bears the wrath for our sins. Not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. If your sins have been forgiven you, it is by His name's sake, because Christ alone purchased your forgiveness. There's no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You will not have forgiveness of sin. You will not have fellowship with God without Christ, without faith, trusting in Him. Forgiveness is essential, but also faithfulness. Faithfulness is essential. Verse 13, he says, at the end, I am writing, or I have written to you children because you know the Father. Your sins have been forgiven you in His name's sake because you know the Father. You have experienced the Father. You know Him. John is confident that there are people in that church that know God. How does John have that assurance? How does, what is the evidence of them knowing God? Well, remember we looked at that last time. John said, you, you cannot say, I know God, and walk in the darkness. You cannot say, I know God, and not live the way that He would have you to live. You cannot say, I know God, and hate your brother. He said, there are some there in that church that were doing those things. They were living a dark, sinful lifestyle. They were hating the brethren. He says, but I'm writing to you, little children. Your sins have been forgiven, and you know him. In other words, there are those that are walking the way they're supposed to walk, and they are loving the way they are supposed to love. And John says that's the case of anyone who calls himself a follower of the Lord. It's the case for any of us, all of us, to be a member of the family, to be part of the, the Christian fellowship, the Christian faith. You must have fellowship, forgiveness of sins, and faithfulness to His commandments in verse 3. To say, if I know Him, you must keep His commandments. You must seek to live that moral, ethical lifestyle. So be a member of the family. Be a member of the family. In Bible school this week, it was... A pretty unique thing. We have an adult class here. If you didn't know that, we have a class for everybody of all ages from birth through adults. And the age range of our students this week ranged from one year old all the way up into the 80s and everywhere in between. It would be, it'd be interesting to find out what was the median uh, age of, our, of all of our students you know, maybe uh, maybe somebody's got time on your hands to calculate all that, but I don't. But we had from all ages, but we were all united. We were all connected in this church family. And what is it that connects all of us, despite our age differences, despite our gender differences, despite our, our ethnic differences? What connects us all in a church family is Jesus. It is fellowship with Him. It is forgiveness of sins in His name. 
It is faithfulness in receiving His Word and seeking to live out and follow and obey His Word. Little children, John says, every Christian must bear these things in common. And John says, I am writing to you because you do. And he is writing to us, church, because we do. We are genuine if we are members of the family. So be a member of the family. But secondly, be mighty in the faith. Be mighty in the faith. And here is where John uses these terms uh, and begins to address spiritual maturity. Little children, he's referring to all, of, all, all Christians, and we see that throughout the letter. Some say perhaps he's referring to spiritual infants in that. But elsewhere in this letter, little children, he's addressing everyone in the church. So at this point, when he starts talking about young men and fathers, he's starting to talk about those spiritual maturity levels. Young men would be considered newer Christians. Newer Christians. And you're new in the faith. You're young in the faith. What are the characteristics of being a young person in age? Well, you think, well there's energy. <laughs> there's energy. There's enthusiasm. There's optimism. There's just a, 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 a restlessness. Can't sit still. And spiritually, when a person first, com- first comes to know Jesus... We see those characteristics, don't we? They get on fire for Jesus. They're excited about this Christianity thing. They are finally free. They're, they're forgiven. They're in the light. and they, they can't wait to serve God. They can't wait to worship together. They can't wait to tell other people about Jesus. You know, young in the faith, we see these similar characteristics. And John is saying to younger Christians, even though you are younger in the faith and you don't have all of the experience and knowledge yet, you can still be mighty in the faith. How is that possible? First of all, you are victorious by Christ's work. By Christ's work. In verse 13, he says this to the young men, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome past tense the evil one to be a Christian of whatever spiritual level you have overcome the evil one how was that possible it is only possible you can only overcome Satan by the work of Jesus it's already happened he says to them even though you're young in the faith you've already passed from death into life by the power of the gospel Even though you're a brand new Christian, you've already been set free from sin. You've already overcome in the struggle. You've already been released. You were a POW, spiritually held captive by the evil one. And by the power of the gospel, those chains were broken, the ropes were severed, and you have been set free. You have already overcome, Christian. New Christian, baby Christian, you've already overcome because the work has already been done. The blood has already been shed. The price has already been paid. The tomb is already empty. If you are a new Christian, you have overcome the evil one already. Not by your power, but by the work of Jesus. There is encouragement in that. It says, young men... I'm writing to you, you've overcome the evil one. You know, Satan, he'll never cease to harass the Christian. 
But he can, harass, he can harass you all he wants. He's already defeated. He no longer has the right to your soul. You've already overcome. And so he can trouble you. He can, he can try to make your life on earth a living hell. And he'll do it if you let him. But reality, you've already overcome. You're victorious by Christ's work. But also, you are victorious by Christ's word. It's by his word. We see in verse 14, he says this, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. Youth has a certain strength to it. You are strong. Why is that? The word of God abides in you. You cannot be a Christian without the word of God abiding in you. You cannot be a Christian without hearing the good news of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. You cannot be a Christian at any level without the word of God abiding in you. And even brand new baby Christians, the word of God's already taken root. The seed of the gospel was sown, and it fell on fertile soil, and it sprang up, and it produced a crop that yielded fruit. Even if you have just received Jesus this morning, the Word of God abides in you. And if the Word of God abides in you, you are strong. There is supernatural strength and power and stamina available to you if the Word of God is abiding in you. And if you are a believer, it does. I'm writing to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. And again, you have overcome the evil one. It's emphasized. Twice he says that to them. It's as if he is trying to encourage and remind them this is a struggle, it is a battle, but don't lose heart. You've already overcome. You have all the strength you need. The Word of God is already abiding in you. And when God speaks, things happen. And God has spoken into your heart. And things are happening in your heart. And you will grow in Christ. And you will overcome. You've already overcome. Young Christian, you are a true Christian. New believers, you are a true believer. And John is writing to them and to us to be mighty in this fight and never rely on your own self. And never say, well, I don't feel strong. I don't feel like I've overcome. I don't feel like the Word of God is abiding. It doesn't matter what you feel, okay? We live in a generation that's so hung up on feelings in subjective things. But what is the objective truth? What is the reality? You've already overcome. The Word of God abides in you, and you're strong. So don't trust in yourself. That's one of the temptations we all face sometimes. Okay, God, I, I, I got this. You know, let me, let, me, let me drive. Let me take the wheel. Let me coast. And that's when we get into all sorts of problems. In the Old Testament, there was a king, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah his nation was being invaded by powerful armies he saw the threat and he cried out to God and, and prayed for God to deliver and God raised up a prophet and came and he spoke to Jehoshaphat and to the people and said the battle is not yours the battle is the Lord's don't rely on yourself trust in God God will bring the victory. And he heard this message that the battle is the Lord's, and because the battle was the Lord's, and he didn't have to fight that battle on his own strength, his own power, his own wisdom, Jehoshaphat began to praise God, and all the people praised the Lord. And the army went out to fight, and they put the, the singers out first. You know, Rhonda, you and Heath, and 
and, 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 and Kim and all y'all singers, y'all would appreciate that. We're going to battle. Singers, get out there in front of us. But that was a symbol. That as the army was marching, they were marching behind the praise and the worship of God. And as the army was marching forward, they arrived at the battle scene, and lo and behold, the enemy armies had fought each other, and they killed each other, and there was no more armies left to fight. The battle is the Lord's. Young Christian, new believer, you've already overcome. Don't fight these struggles in this life in your own strength. You've got strength. The Word of God abides in you. You've already overcome by the work of Jesus, by the Word of Jesus. Just trust in Him. Rest in Him. Rejoice in Him. And live this life to the fullest, knowing you have been forgiven. Knowing the battle is the Lord's. Be mighty in the faith. Finally, we are called to be mature in the faith. To be mature. He is speaking to those who have walked with Jesus and who have tested Jesus and found him to be true. And John is saying, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. Then in verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. Repeats himself. Repetition is emphasis. He says, the only way that you can be a father in the faith or a mother in the faith is if you know him. Not just him, but you know him, the one who has been there from the beginning. Is he talking about God? Is he talking about Jesus? Because remember back in chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about both. You can't know the Father unless you know the Son. John writes that later on in this letter. But the only way to be a father in the faith is if you know. You know him. Not just know about him, but you know him. You have, you have found him to be true. You know him by doctrine and by experience. There's no shortcuts. There's no pushing a button and suddenly I'm mature in the faith. You know, as a little kid, you always, you always want to grow up and you want to reach 13 so you can be a teenager. Then you, want to, then you want to be 16 so you can get your license. Then you want to be 18 so you can be an adult. And You want to be 21 for reasons you shouldn't want to be 21. As a young person, you're always wanting to, to advance in life and, and reach certain things, but there's no shortcut to that. Is you, You've got to just live life and let, let time take care of that. And eventually it does, and then we get there and we're like, whoa, slow down. Like, let, me, let me rewind this if I can. Go back a little bit. But there's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. You have got to put in your dues. How do you become mature in the faith? First of all, you walk intimately with Him. You walk intimately with Him. You cannot grow in a relationship, no matter what that relationship is, without spending time with each other. It just won't happen. You've got to get to know each other on an intimate level. You've got to converse. And you've got to listen and spend time with and, and watch and just experience things together. That's the way it is with Jesus. You've got to have conversation. You've got to have prayer. You've got to listen. You've got to meditate on the things of God. And you've just got to experience life every step of the way with Him by your side. The good times, the bad times, every time in between, you've just got to walk intimately with Him and if you do so, you find him to be faithful to his promises. 
in those difficult moments, you find that His promises were true. And there's no shortcut to that. You've just got to live your life and walk closely, intimately, together with Him. You've got to work intensely for Him. You've got to work intensely for Him. You, you've got to serve Him in the power of His spirits. You cannot know God on a deep level without serving Him to the point where you cannot do this without Him. To, to let your faith be stretched so thin to the point where you say, God, there is no way on your green earth I can do this. There is no way I can preach a sermon. There is no way I can stand up in front of these people and sing or play an instrument. There is no way I can teach a class. God, there's no way I can disciple another person one-on-one. -on -one. God, there's no way I can go out on the mission field and tell people about Jesus. There's no way I can do this on my own, but God, I feel you calling me to do it, so I am going to work intensely for you. And you're going to have to supply me with what I need to do this. You don't know how many times I have prayed that prayer. Even this morning. God, I can't do this. I can't stand up in front of all these people and say, this is what God says, this is what you need to do. Who am I to do this, God? But you've called me to do this, and so God, you've got to, do, you've got to supply me with the spirit that I need to accomplish this for your glory. And when you step out in faith and serve God, and you work for Him wholeheartedly, you get to know Him on a deeper level. You get to find how deep the reservoir of God's grace and God's strength really is. When He brings you through this and, he, and you serve Him and suddenly people are blessed by what you did and people are, are closer to God and people get saved because you worked for Jesus then you find out wow God this is who you really are and you know him in a way you would never have known him without working and serving for him using your spiritual gifts and your talents serving others unselfishly all for his glory to be mature in the faith you've got to walk with him you've got to work for him finally you need to wait intently for him. You cannot be mature in the faith without learning this thing we call patience and this thing we call hope. Knowing in this life there are going to be struggles and trials. But you wait and you hope and you put your hope in him and you hope in heaven. And that's what sustains you through those dark times. Those troublesome times those painful circumstances. You patiently endure the struggles of life because you know this life is not all there is. You know that this isn't the end of the story. You know that in the end it's going to be worth it, so I've just got to hang on. There is a deepening and a maturing of your faith that happens in those moments that would never be the case if you didn't go through the valleys and wait intently for God to bring you through it. And even if He doesn't in this life, He promises He will in eternity. And so you hope and you endure and you, and you grow and your spirit begins to be evident 
to others. What is awesome to me is that we've got so many of what I would consider to be mothers and fathers in the faith in our church, just mature, just spiritual giants to me and to, and to many of you, and to see them in this season of life going through heartache and struggle and watching them cling tightly to Jesus every step of that way and never abandoning the hope, never abandoning faith, and watching them even as they are, 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 are struggling and, and watching as they are, are, are suffering, but yet seeing the joy of God, the joy of the Lord just manifest on their face. And it's evident in the way they live and the way they treat others and the way they speak and the way they pray and the way they celebrate what God is doing in the lives of others and the life of the church. It's just such a joy to me. And it's a source of encouragement to me that, you know, it's still real to them. <laughs> and if it's real to them, then why, why shouldn't it be real to me? It's also a source of, of challenge to say, you know, it's still real to them in spite of what they're going through. So no matter what I go through, if I want to reach that level of faith, i got to cling tightly like they do. It's such a blessing to be surrounded by so many that are mature in the faith. And John, it is interesting six times I am writing I am writing I am writing I have written I have written I have written to you no matter what level of maturity he's writing to the young men he's writing to those who are fathers and it reminds me all of us need the writing all of us need the word no matter where you're at on this barometer on this this thermometer of, of faith no matter where you're at on that journey you need the word of God you need to have the apostles and the prophets writing to you. Because in writing to you, they are bringing to you God's revelation, God's power, God's strength, God's direction, God's wisdom, God's assurance. We need the writing. We cannot live without it. It is essential to every Christian that we receive this writing. So I invite you this morning, recognize your level of spiritual maturity and don't be satisfied with it. Say, well, I know Jesus, I'm good. I'll just coast. It's not what God's calling you to do. Or to say, yeah, I've walked with Jesus for so long, you know, I've got this thing figured out. Don't stop growing because you've got some other Christians that are looking up to you. You're their role model in the faith. And if you just put it in neutral and just start to coast, then, then what are they going to do? So we have got, to, every one of us, continue to strive to grow in Christ-likeness, no matter where we are at in the faith. In my former church, I had a deacon who was a competitive bodybuilder. I mean, he would compete in competitions, and he would win competitions. And he'd have all these trophies. And one time he won a competition, and his trophy was a sword. I said, man, that is the coolest trophy I've ever seen in my life. It was a real-life sword. You know, but in order to look like Chris did, there's no shortcuts to that. My man puts in, and he still does, hours after hours after hours in the gym. 
and discipline and working and pushing himself and, and maintaining a very, very, very strict diet. I mean, he was eating like all the time. There was only certain things he allowed himself to eat. But in order to be able to flex his muscles the way he did, it takes discipline. And it takes commitments and effort. And there's no shortcut to looking like that. Ephesus is blessed with patriarchs and matriarchs. And we are watching them flex their muscles for Jesus. And as they advance in, in years in this life, they might not feel like they have much strength left. But man, do we see those muscles. Man, do we see the hours and the years and the, and the discipline and the commitments and the effort that they have poured into this. And we are watching them. And we are seeing them flex. And we're saying, wow, I wish I had a faith that looked like that. And they will be the first to tell you it only comes through walking closely with Jesus, working tirelessly for Jesus, and then waiting patiently in the struggles of life. It is through those efforts that every single one of us can attain to a higher level of spiritual maturity. Despite the health struggles, the family concerns we are seeing a, a deep level of faith in our church that I aspire to one day reach. And I know you do too. So the final question for you this morning, are you growing in godliness? Are you growing in godliness? John is writing to those in different levels of maturity and he is, he is encouraging them, I believe in you because you believe in Jesus. I am certain of your salvation. Don't quit Keep growing. Are you growing in godliness? Refuse to be satisfied with your current spiritual state. It starts with that surrendering of your life to Jesus being born again, and it doesn't end there. Keep struggling. Keep faithing in the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name.